So what I'd like to do is, um, before Josh is going to do our Bible reading, and we're going to introduce that into our services from now on. So before we preach, we're going to have just a moment where we just read Scripture together. So if you're up for being a, a Bible reader during our service, do let me know, and I'll start um, asking you to start reading the Bible, and we'll do it that way. Um, just look for lots of different ways to get people involved. But what, what I'd love to do is hand out to these books. Um, you might remember um, during the Vision series that we, um, we were looking at seven practices, seven priorities um, that we wanted to adopt as a church. And uh, so we're going to dive into a seven-week series now. And uh, I want to I hand you a book um, because we want to try and lean in a little bit. And, and the goal is with these, these sermons is that they're going to be uh, practical. So there will be a point in each ser- sermon where we'll stop and um, take a moment and think, well, what does this mean for me? What can I put in place? Or what can my goal be um, as I think about what I could you know, make space in my life for these priorities? So um, while Josh is coming out, you'll need to do this slowly because I'm going to hand out the books. Well, that's too fast, way too fast. Um, uh, <laughs> I want to hand out these, these books. If you want one, don't, don't feel like you need to have one. Um, and uh, there's some pens that will accompany those books. Um, that's probably too many for you. I'll just take a couple of them back. And then now everyone, just about everyone, should have two books. Um, <laughs> And so that will be the last one we give. Uh, so if you can try and remember, if this, if this, bo- this book doesn't uh, tickle your fancy, wrong colour, whatever it might be, then please do feel free to bring your own book um, next time. Uh, but if you can bring them along, because what I'd love us to do is to be really thinking practically about how this stuff can apply to your life. Okay, Josh, come on. Come and read the Bible to us. Here's a microphone. So we get that on the recording. Lovely. Thank you. Okay, so the reading from God's Word today is uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23, down to um, chapter 3, verse 6. And if you've got one of these church Bibles, it's 1004. Great. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisee said to him, look, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out 
and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Thank you. So, I'm going to dive into a little sermon series, um, and it really is on the back of what we spoke about last term when it came to our kind of practices or priorities or things that we want to adopt as a church. Um, so we've named this series The Pursuit of Joy, um, and the reason for that is because um, we're, I, I feel quite compelled that as we start to dive into these priorities and these practices and we take them to heart, um, they will produce joy in your life. It will enable you to live kind of life to the full. John 10, 10, where Jesus says, you know, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. And I guess I want to say right up the front, uh, what I'm not saying today uh, is that if you work really hard and you do all of these things, um, then, then joy will be yours. I'm not going to stand up for seven weeks and all the other... Uh, people who'll be preaching during this series. I'm not going to preach religion and law at you for seven days and tell you, you have to do this and you have to do that. Um, that's not how it's going to work. It's all about grace. Um, it's the good news of Jesus. We want you to know the whole purpose of these seven things is to remind you or to put you in a place where you can remember that God loves you, um, that, that more than that, he likes you, um, and that he wants to be with you. And so through Jesus, we can come into the Father's presence. We get formed into the likeness of his Son. And then we're filled up and sent out by the Holy Spirit to be good news and a blessing to the world. And so my hope is that these practices or these priorities will take you to a place, will lead you to a place um, where God can fill you with all joy and all life. So this is the, if you like, the seven weeks. I'll do it really quickly. But um, So it will begin um, with the presence of God, being a people of the presence of God who prioritize God's presence, people who are formed by the Holy Spirit, sorry, formed into the likeness of Jesus. And then thirdly, those who are filled up by the Holy Spirit and sent out um, to be good news in our town. Um, then we'll move into a time where we start looking at what it looks like for us to be people who share the good news of Jesus through our words, through our resources, and through our lives. Through our words, our resources, and our lives. And then um, we will look at, and actually we're going to do this today, we're going to be, we're going to, we want to be a people who choose to delight in God, in, his, in people, and in the world. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to look at what it looks like for us to be a people who prioritize that day of rest. And I want to say again right at the beginning um, that if, if these seven things that I talk about feel a little like religion or feel like a burden or an obligation, then I'd like to suggest that either I'm speaking about it totally wrong or we're not doing it right. Um, while each of these things, these seven things we're going to look at over these seven weeks, will, will involve a cost. It will, it will involve a changing, I suppose, of how we live and how we think. Um, it will involve some level of sacrifice. These things should produce joy, not rob you of joy. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because my hope is, my prayer is, that these things will draw you closer to God. They'd make you more like him and enable you to do what he did. Um, and that, for me, is what living is all about. So 
Let's begin with the Sabbath. So we're doing it in reverse order. So we're going to start with the Sabbath and work our way to presence, which sounds counterintuitive, but it made a lot more sense with the next sermon series for Lent. Um, so sorry, that's confusing, but it made more sense to me when I looked at the rotor, um, which is probably not the best way to go about things. So um, the first thing I want to do is acknowledge that this book that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Marcoma, um, has been very helpful to me in forming my thinking around Sabbath alongside reading scripture. I've been kind of pondering it for a long time and, and recognizing in myself um, that something's got to give. I can't keep going like I'm going. I can't keep working and, and um, striving and not fully resting. Um, and so his book's been really helpful. And so I really, I, I really recommend that book to you if you haven't got a copy of it. Um, uh, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Marcoma. Um, if if, if you want it, but you can't afford it, tell me, and I'll get it for you. So, Sabbath. Let's start with what Sabbath is. Um, Sabbath is referred to right at the beginning of Genesis. Um, so, in Genesis 1, our Bibles, um, we read um, that God created the world. Over six days, he created light. He created the sun and the stars, vegetation, animals, humans. He did that all over six days. And then he looked upon it at the end of each of those days, and he saw it was good. He took delight in what he had created. And then right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, um, verse 1 and 2, this is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy. Because on, on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so in this verse, we can see that God stopped. He stopped creating. He rested from his work. And he took a moment to delight. He took a day to delight in what he created. And so right at the very beginning, right in Genesis chapter 2, this day was set in motion um, to be a day of rest and delight. And so um, these, these, this word actually is, is, is sabbat, sabbat um, in the Hebrew, which literally means stop. God stopped. Now, I did say just a moment ago, and I want to correct myself because I said it was a day. But actually, the seventh day, you'll notice with all the other days, one, one through six, there was evening and there was morning that next day. The seventh day, that didn't happen. There was no evening. And so there's a sense in which this day, the Sabbath rest, the day where God rests, where he delights in all he's created, um, is, is a day that, that doesn't end. In fact, a lot of commentators would suggest when you read the scripture, what the Sabbath day is, is how creation was intended to be. A day where God delights in his people and his people delight in him where people enjoy creation, which is a beautiful gift from God to his creation, to us, his people. And so this, this moment of mutual delight and perfect relationship with us and all creation was intended to be never-ending. This idea of resting and joy and life with God was for forever. 
That was the intention. And actually, it's important to think about this in terms of, you know, in the end, eternal life. That, 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 then when we look at Revelation chapter 21, which speaks of this new heaven and new earth where God is with his people and there are no tears and the pain's gone, that is Sabbath rest, eternal rest with God. Things are about to how they were meant to be, intended to be right at the beginning. As we continue to read, though, in Genesis chapter 1, we see creation. Chapter 2, Sabbath rest begins. He creates people. Chapter 3 is where we read about um, when things went messed up, the fall. Where people, we read in Genesis chapter 3, people chose to disobey God. And the consequence of this act of rebellion was the breakdown of our relationship with God, breakdown with each other, and breakdown with our relationship with all creation. And when we look at the world, we can see that, can't we? We can see that um, our relationship with God is not quite right. We can see that our relationships with each other, you look at the news and so on, you can see that there is fighting and there's war and there's poverty and injustice. Things aren't right. You look at our world, you know, the stuff that we're doing to the planet and, and the way that, you know, everything seems to be unraveling is a consequence of the sin um, or the disobedience that, these, that Adam and Eve, right at the beginning, um, brought into the world. And we all, we, all, we all feel the echoes of it. But we must remember in the midst of this that it was intended to be good, um, that rest and life is what God has in store for us who are bound up in Jesus. And so we see in Genesis chapter 2 that God rested, and it was good, and he enjoyed and full of delight. And then after God's people were rescued from the hands of Egypt, God then commanded his people to take this day of rest. Just as, I, just as God did right at the beginning, now he's saying to his people, take this day of rest. So Exodus chapter 20, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so this idea of resting, stopping, delighting, enjoying, God did it. And then he commands his people to do the same. Interestingly, this, this, this command on Sabbath is right alongside honoring your parents and not murdering, um, which feels like, what? They don't, that doesn't compute, right? Surely murdering is like way up here and taking a day off is way down here. And well, that's true in our culture. But when you look at the commands, we must realize that taking this day of rest is utterly important for God. It is, it, we are designed to take this day of rest um, to delight in God, in our family and friends and in the world. So we come to the passage now that, um, that Josh just read. And it's a really interesting one because Jesus kind of turned, on, turned you know, the whole Sabbath thing on its head because the Jewish people in Exodus, when they got the command... And they were like, right, we need to do Sabbath. And then they made a whole bunch of regulations that accompanied what it meant to rest. 
and uh, they've made it near impossible to rest uh, on the basis of what they've done to us. So I'll, sh- I'll, I'll share a little bit of that. You'll find it very interesting, I hope, uh, in terms of what the Jewish culture kind of attached to this idea of Sabbath. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll find as well that it, the Christian understanding of the Sabbath is a very freeing and beautiful thing. And once you start doing it, you'll long for it um, every day of the week until it arrives. Um, so Mark chapter 2, it says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along, and they began to pick some heads of grain. So on the Sabbath, it was not, uh, you weren't allowed, according to Jewish law, Jewish customs, um, to uh, pick things and eat things. So the very act of Jesus picking some heads of grain and eating it, having a snack, um, was termed as work. Um, So Jesus, in that moment, according to Jewish law, sinned by taking uh, this head of grain and eating and sharing it with his friends. Um, and so uh, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law at that point, um, were all up in arms. You've sinned. How dare you snack on the Sabbath? We start to get an indication of how far they had misunderstood the Sabbath. And then Jesus, after, uh, in verse 27, he reminds, he says, this is where he kind of turns the tables around. He says, the, ta- the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. And so what Jesus is saying here is the Sabbath is a gift of grace from God. Sabbath is meant to be a blessing, something that, as Mary Kondo would say, sparks joy. It's something that rejuvenates you, something that enables you to delight in God, people, and the world. But the Jews, they just didn't get it. What they'd done is they'd made the Sabbath look very, very religious, and, and they did take it very seriously, and they added loads of regulations and made it ultimately about them, a tick-box exercise. Look at us. We're taking the Sabbath. How good are we? And that's not what it was meant to be. Then in Mark chapter 3, which uh, Josh read as well, there is this moment where um, this, this man's hand is healed, um, and then instead of, because like, you imagine it, like if you're in a synagogue or if we're in a service today and someone had a shriveled hand and it was mad, miraculously healed, like if I'd prayed for someone and the hand was miraculously healed, like God had worked through me and healed the man, and, and uh, you all were like, hey, it's Sunday. We don't heal on Sunday. What are you doing? Get him out. Um, no, we'd celebrate, wouldn't we? We'd be like, oh, that's amazing. This man had a shriveled hand, but now he's healed. You know, the Sabbath in many ways is a day of healing. Um, And yet, instead of celebrating the good thing that had happened by the hand being healed, uh, they looked for a way to kill him. It's like all out of whack, very confusing. They should be celebrating. Instead, they are not. So how did they get to this place? I found this very interesting uh, when it came to Jewish culture. So basically, the Jewish faith is informed by the first five books that we have in our Bible called the Torah, and then on top of the Torah is, is something called the Mishnah. Allow me to geek out on the Mishnah for just a second. So the Mishnah, so you have the Torah. This is where God gave his commandments. This is how the people of God should live. This is how they um, are going to be a blessing in the world. This is how they're going to reveal how good and wonderful God is. So there's that, that wonderful book, which we have. And then uh, on top of that is this Mishnah. And so what they've done is they've gone through all of the different laws, they've broken them down, added regulations, and ensured that uh, if we do all of these kinds of things, so if you can imagine that you know, 
do not murder. There's about 17,000 different things um, that qualify not murdering. And uh, so they've done the same thing for the Sabbath. And uh, so the Sabbath, there are a load of regulations for, for the Jewish person about how to um, live according to the law about the Sabbath. And um, so the Mishnah gives some good detail around defining what work is. So if you're going to stop working, you obviously need to know what work is in order to stop working. And so the Mishnah's definition of work comes out of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So God, in Genesis chapter 1, he was um, creating. He was being productive. And so... Uh, and then in Genesis 2, he stopped creating and being productive. And so the Mishnah defines work as anything that involves the creation of something. If you are being productive or creative in any way, um, then you are not observing the Sabbath. And so um, the, the Jewish people became very um, religious about this. And in the Mishnah, there are 39 uh, prohibited creating activities that shouldn't be undertaken on the Sabbath. Are you ready for them? Here are the things that we, uh, if we were in the Jew part of the Jewish nation, these are the things that we could not do. If you're taking notes, don't take these down. Planting, plowing, reaping, gathering, threshing, winnowing, sorting, dissecting, sifting, kneading, cooking, baking, shearing, scouring, combing, dyeing, spinning, warping, making two loops, weaving, separating those two loops, tying, untying, sewing, tearing, trapping, killing, flaying, curing, smoothing, scoring, measuring, cutting, writing, erasing, constructing, demolishing, extinguishing fire, igniting fire, fine-tuning, transferring between domains. So I don't actually know what that means, but I assume that means you can't go from one domain to another. There is one exception, um, and that is saving a human life. Um, so, so long as you're not doing all of those things, you're observing the Sabbath. Now, for the, for the, you know, the observant ones here, that means you you probably are allowed to sit in a room and touch nothing um, for 24 hours. <laughs> um, you are not allowed to drive. And the reason you're allowed to drive is because it violates too many of turn the engine on. There's an ignition that happens. You're not allowed to ignite things. Um, you are allowed to walk, so that's lucky, but you're only allowed to walk a quarter of a mile. If you walk beyond that, you are then working and are not observing the law. Um, so I imagine there's lots of people who get themselves in all sorts of trouble when they hit the quarter mile marking like, oh, stay here then. Um, so, and then there's the, uh, the electricity. So you, uh, you shouldn't use electricity. Um, however, there is a loophole, uh, and that is that uh, you can set up your passive enjoyment devices before the Sabbath and then leave them on. So this means that you are allowed to turn on the television before the moment of Sabbath begins, and it can remain on for the 24 hours, and you can watch it, um, but you cannot change the channel. Um, and, and Josh was telling me about uh, you, you had a, your friend of yours had a funny conversation where they, they needed their lights on or the oven on, and they tried to convince the person outside to come and do that for them um, because they weren't allowed to turn the lights on or off or anything. So it... It become, it's, it, it's, it has slightly become something that it was never intended to be, let's say that. Um, and that's what Jesus is, he's taking aim at the Mishnah here. He's like, what are you doing? 
The Sabbath is meant to be a blessing. It's meant to be a gift. It's supposed to be a beautiful 24 hours where we delight and we rest and we enjoy. And instead, you've put all of these regulations in place such that you can't do anything. And it's mad. He didn't say that. He'd never say that. That's what I said. And so what Jesus is saying here um, and what, what, he's, what he's teaching here is, and when you read all of this stuff about Sabbath, we're not, we're not trying to define what work is and stop doing work. The better thing to spend our time doing is, is to figure out what rest is and do that. As Christians, when it comes to Sabbath, let's not spend all our time defining work, but let's spend time figuring out What's stopping and resting and delighting is for you, and then do that. And I'm really aware that some people's work is another person's rest. Um, so it's going to look different. That's why there's grace in this, because we're looking for ways to rest and enjoy. So for some of you, cooking is like work. I don't want to cook. But for some of you, cooking is like the best. It's how you relax and enjoy and delight in what you're going about. So there is a lot of grace in this. But what we're looking for is ways for you to delight in the world, delight in your friendships and your families, and delight in your God. And so here's my rule of thumb when it comes to the Sabbath. And this might be a good thing to just help frame your thinking. On that day, do what brings you joy. Do what brings you enjoyment. And the way to do that is to actively look for ways to delight in God. Delight in your family and in your friends. And delight in the world that God has given you. And as a caveat, which is from uh, this book uh, that I mentioned at the beginning, is that it's important, I think, to make a distinction between what is a day off and what is Sabbath. Day off for me is one where you catch up on the cleaning and you get the life admin done and all of those kinds of things. What this is encouraging you to do is to put even that to one side and have one day where you enjoy your life that God has given you. Um, This may seem like a silly thing to say, but let me just give you a couple of reasons as why we need this and why as Christians we need to fight for this, Um, because as a culture, we don't rest well at all. Um, If you look at what Jesus said about, to the the Pharisees, about, you know, Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, at least they were taking a day of rest. Um, For us, some of us, we we can't uh, or we won't take that day of rest. I, you know, there's, there's some, some of you might be saying that, you know, I'm doing so much stuff, but I'm not enjoying it. In our culture, busyness has become something of a badge of honor. And I've been in so many conversations where people tell me how many hours they've worked that week. And I'm supposed to be like, yes, well done you. You've overworked. But it shouldn't be like that. And some of us have got to the stage where we don't know what it looks like to switch off. Or if you're honest, you don't want to switch off, um, because then you need to engage with what is actually reality. And for some of you, I'm aware that it's not, you don't even have that choice to switch off. You know, your work that you're a part of, your bosses don't give you that luxury of actually switching off. Some of you are literally 
trapped by this culture. Those of you who are parents, um, your children don't magically disappear one day every 24 hours so that you can rest and enjoy life. They're always there. So there ha- there, there's got to be a way of reclaiming this idea of rest and Sabbath in amongst everything that's going on in our lives. But I think we can all agree that there's a systemic problem in our culture that is making us work harder, rush more, and do more. And more and more people say to me, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I've got no margin in my life. Something's got to give. And it's all backed up by research, right? So uh, in an article in The Independent last year, Research revealed that two-thirds of Britons feel a constant sense of dread caused by stress, the stress of their day-to-day lives. One third, two-thirds, sorry. Then another one, uh, another research, sorry, <laughs> some more research said that almost 60% of adults are drinking alcohol in order to cope with the stresses of everyday life. And then research that, that came out of Stanford University suggests that uh, actually, so some of us are working excessively long weeks, so you're hitting 50, 50 hours, 60 hours, 70 hours in a week. But according to research, after you've hit that 50-hour mark, your productivity plummets. And by the time you've worked a 70-hour week, you could probably count off 15 hours where you've done basically nothing, but you've been at work. It's almost as if, and this is, again, John Mark Comer noted, that if you, if you do the maths, 50 hours is basically six days of work, six, eight-and-a-half-hour days of work. So, so you've hit this 50-hour mark, and your productivity plummets. And it's almost like we've been designed to take a day of rest. We can't work longer than that. God has put that in place in, in and who we are. Um, and so this day of rest will increase productivity. Then there's technology. And I spoke about this two weeks ago. So this stuff, you know, it, when, uh, there used to be this rumor going around that we'll have all this technology and it'll make everything easier and then we'll work only three days a week and we'll have space for days to go on drives and eat things and walk and so on. But obviously Pew Research found out last year that technology has done nothing but increase our workload and our work hours. That what was supposed to release us from uh, the work has made it much worse. And then there is sleep. I've looked at lots of research about sleep. We're in a Methodist church. We should talk about John Wesley for a second. He had this holy club that he gathered um, he, the people who were, who were kind of under his pastoral care. And he would ask these people each day, do I get to bed on time and do I get up on time? Am I disciplined about getting the amount of sleep that I need each day? And then in this research done by the Great British Bedtime Report by the Sleep Council, what a name, um, half of Britons say they, they're kept, uh, kept awake by stress and worry. And the average sleep for Britons at the moment is 6.5 hours a night. Most people wish they had eight. And so if you read through all this, basically the summary of this research is this. We're tired and need more sleep. So we're stressed. We're hurried. The technology, which had all of this promise about saving us time and making us more efficient and giving us more, um, more time for ourselves has been a bit of a lie, and we're not sleeping enough. And so if ever there was a moment to speak on this stuff, it's now, in this moment. Um, and, and this is what God kind of says to his people, this 
offer of grace, not a religious law or rule that you have to take like this tick box exercise, not that at all. He offers us Sabbath. And, and so what I want to do now is just share with you a little bit of how Diz and I are trying to um, bring about Sabbath in our lives, in the amongst of doing the job here at Christchurch, in amongst having three children that never, ever leave us, um, and, and how it is that we are wor- working our way to delight in God, to delight in our family and friends, and to delight in the world. And before I get to that, firstly, what I want to say is this. This is where the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the beautiful thing. So when we read in Genesis 3, that we see that this, this relationship between God and each other in the world was, was seemingly irreparably damaged by sin. We see through Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, he has made a way. He has brought about healing. Sabbath rest is possible because of Jesus. This is where it's all about grace. That through what Jesus did, we can rest. We can rest. There is a way back to God. So here are um, the things that Diz and I are giving it, a, giving it a go. The words that we're trying to think of while we're doing Sabbath is how can we celebrate? How can we feast? How can we give thanks? How can we delight? How can we enjoy? Um, I've been trying to get up each morning nice and early um, to spend time in the Lord, and I try to kind of divvy out how am I praying each morning. And when it comes to the Sabbath morning, it's this, give thanks. Give thanks. That's, my, that's, that's how I delight in God. For that 24 hours, I'm not, I'm not hitting him up with, I need this, and I want this, and I want this, and I need this, and that person needs this. All I'm doing is say, thank you. Thank you that you love me. Thank you um, that you're here with me. Thank you I'm not alone. Thank you for the family you've given me. Thank you for the friends you've given me. Thank you for this church. There are so many things to give thanks for. You remember I mentioned a study by Brené Brown um, that, that, that kind of, she's on Netflix, she's quite cool, and uh, she speaks of how gratitude is the pathway to joy. That as we give thanks to God and as we take a moment to be grateful, joy begins to bubble up. And even in the most difficult times in our lives, if we can find one or two things to be grateful for, um, then a smile will come across your face. And so the, the three kind of, like I said, the rule of thumb is we want to make sure that we find ways to delight in God, delight in each other, delight in the world. So delighting in God, that for me is about gratitude, giving thanks. Delighting in each other is taking time to enjoy the friendships and the family that you have, um, have fun together, delight in the world, um, so I'd be at the beach if I could be. I can't be. Um, so I, instead, I drink coffee or I sleep. Oh, sleep. And so I want to encourage you to be really creative about how you do this. Um, remember, there's loads of grace about how you figure this out. What does rest look like for you? How are you going to delight in God, delight in each other, and delight in the world? And so this is what we're trying as a family. And, and we're not doing it exclusively, like the Watkins are disappearing for 24 hours and nobody can come near us. Um, that's not what we want to do at all. We want to invite people into our Sabbath. So the Tappings didn't realize it, but they came over on Friday night and we included them into our Sabbath activities. And now you know what we were doing when we were roasting marshmallows and just generally having fun in our icebox of a house. And so what we do, here's the rundown. from Friday. So the way we do it, is Friday night through to Saturday night. We take the full 24 hours from supper to supper. 
And the reason we do that is because uh, I often have a sermon to finish on Saturday night, so Sabbath can't run into that time. Otherwise, uh, we'd be in all sorts of troubles. And obviously, I was doing my sermon last night as well. So uh, that's what we're going for. Friday night to Saturday night. Um, what we're trying at the moment is we're making pizza together, although that's already gone awry because Molly's decided she doesn't like pizza anymore. So we're going we're gonna to have to come up with something else. Um, during, the, during our dinner, we're trying this. We're not doing it brilliantly yet, but we're trying to have a conversation around what we're thankful for, what we enjoy during the day, uh, make a bigger deal about grace. Um, while we're, the next thing we do is we... Um, the, last, the last couple of times was to build a little fire pit in the garden... Um, and have roast marshmallows together and, um, and talk. And, and, and last Friday, um, Moles was looking up into the sky and could see the stars. And I rather corny, corny shilly, that's, you know, the word corny, being corny, being a dad. I was like, oh, there's a Bible passage, did you know, Moles, about the stars in the sky. So I read Psalm 8. She wasn't interested, but I felt like I'd done a good job. <laughs> and... Uh, and so we're going to look for ways to bring delight in God together as a family. Then, after we've done that, Tiz and I will enjoy putting the kids to bed and having an evening to ourselves where we can um, play games or do whatever it is we'd like to do, enjoy. And then on the Saturday, Tiz and I take it in turns to sleep in. Um, so uh, one of us gets up with the kids, the other stays asleep. Yesterday was my morning to sleep in. It was ace. Um, he came up with a cup of coffee at half past nine when I woke up. And I was like, oh, that's wonderful. So uh, that, that's kind of what's working for us. Um, I then, nearly every Saturday, will take a moment to chat to my mum, who's probably listening to this recording. Hi, mum. But I didn't yesterday. Sorry, mum. But uh, <laughs> I was speaking to my sister because it was her birthday. She's not listening. But in the off case, she is. Hi, Amy. Um, and then we decide what we're going to do together as a family. So l- last week, it was a bike ride. We went from our house to Kew Gardens. It was like a 10-kilometer bike ride for Evie, who's four. She was knackered by the end of it. But uh, she did. She absolutely loved it. And so we did that la- yesterday. Um, we decided we'd go for a swim as a family. That served two purposes. Some of you know we don't have a boiler at the moment. The swimming pool has hot showers. So we thought we would go for a swim and then also take everything that we need to wash the children. Um, <laughs> Which is like, I'm sure everyone's like, what are those people doing? Why are, yeah, man, that man shouldn't be shaving here. Anyway, so <laughs> that wasn't really happening. Um, where am I up to? I'm having a lot of fun here. Uh, and then next week, it'll be something totally different. So we'll try and gather some ideas, and we just want to step out of life as normal and enjoy each other's presence. Um, and, enjoy, and for me, that involves, and I'm really working on this, but it really involves me um, switching off my phone as best I can um, and practice being present to God and to my children, my wife, and to the world around me. That's my goal. Um, and can I say it's not that easy? Uh, in fact, I've, I've, lots of times I've found it really hard um, to totally switch off to the demands of work and life and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so that's why we need to have grace with ourselves, because we know that it's not always that easy. Um, and as you know, I have the luxury of being a vicar in the Church of England, therefore I only work a day a week, which many of you remind me of. And so, uh, so obviously I find this very easy, because I just pick one of the six days I have off and, and, and have that one as more restful than the others. Uh, but it's not... It's, <laughs> 
It's, that's not true. But I, I, but I, but I do have the flexibility uh, as in, my, in my role to say, I'm going to do this um, in a way that some of you will find it very difficult to do this. Um, and so I want, to, I want to kind of encourage you to be gracious and kind to yourselves. It's not a tick box exercise. The Sabbath wasn't given as a law that if you didn't do it, you're in all sorts of trouble and it's all over. It's a gift. And so I'd love to encourage you to start thinking about what does it look like for you and your family to take time. And it might be that you need to build up to a full day. It might be that a full day is not possible right now. And so you need to just start building practices in. For some of you, taking a day of rest where you're totally present to God, your family and friends in the world, doesn't happen. And so for some of you, it might be that, okay, I'm going to give this two hours this week and I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to start building on that and get yourself to the point. Because in the time that Diz and I have been doing this, I'm loving it. It is so much fun to be able to, you know, hang out with the kids and just be really, like, make the choice, be really intentional. I'm investing into you. I'm delighting in you, my children, um, for this 24 hours. And, um, and I'd love that to be the same for you because we can't keep going at a million miles an hour every single day. We weren't designed to. This is why God gives us Sabbath rest. And so it is a relatively new practice for me, but I'm loving it, and I want to build on it. And I, want to, and I guess I want to model it as best I can to us and to the world. Um, that's the purpose of God's people, right, from the very beginning, is to show the world that there's another way. That we don't need to grind ourselves into the ground. Um, that's what everyone else does. We need to show them there is another way. And uh, so that's what we're doing. And we want to reveal God through our Sabbath to the world. And then the other six days that I... Well, the, one, the other one day I work in the week, I'm feeling refreshed. I'm able to go for it and give my very best. So this is what comes to the books before we, um, we take a moment to respond. My hope is in this talk, <laughs> you know what Sabbath is about stopping and resting and delighting in God, your friends, your family, and the world. It's, a, it, it's like you are prophetically in this moment enjoying the eternal rest that is yours in Jesus Christ. We do it once a week. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we know we need it. Even if you look at your life, you, probably, you, may, you may not be feeling very joyful. You may be feeling really tired. Part of the reason is you've forgotten how to stop and rest. Um, and I've given you a couple of ideas of what Diz and I do with our kids. Um, we're going to come up with all sorts of different things, and we'll invite you all to come and join us at different points and some of the things that we do. Um, but I love you now. Um, in your books, maybe start writing down what are some things that you can do. Um, don't define work, define rest. What, do you, what does it look like for you to stop? What does it look like for you to rest? What does it look like for you to delight in God on that day? What does it look like for you to delight in your friendships and in your families? On that day, what does it look like for you to delight in the world? And, and then start to try it out. And, and then reap the benefits of that. Reap the benefits of, of having that time of rest. Allow joy to kind of bubble up in you as God 
speaks to you and reminds you he loves you and reminds you of all the things that he's given you. Um, so I'm going to give you like five minutes just to start. Um, and uh, it might be that all you, you might just have a long list of things that you wish that you, you could do if you had the time. Um, and I guess my encouragement is write them down and then make some time um, and begin to enjoy life. It's not meant to be a drain. Jesus came to bring life, life to the full. So you might want to do it in families. You might want to do it by yourself. But let's take five minutes and just scribble a couple of things down. What does it look like for you and your family in this moment to take Sabbath rest? How long can you reasonably do? How long will it take you to build up to 24 hours? That's enough. I'm, not, I'm going to stop talking. You go for it.